five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Podcast on the internet. The soundtrack of our lives. Long time ago. 21 years ago. Crazy, right? That was a live performance on uh, David Letterman. And I actually saw that performance when it aired live on Letterman. I was starting around watching Letterman. And I saw this band. I'm like, wow, I dig this tune. It it rocks, right? And it has hooks. And I always like the do 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 part. Anytime you get into do 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 in a song, I'm into it. Like Lou Reed walking the wild side. Do 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 the do 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 is a highly underrated idiom trope in pop music anyway um i hadn't seen that video in a long time and how i got there was they actually have a song called transcendental suicide which i wanted to play today it's a really good tune but it didn't have the visual and you know i like playing the visual we're in a visual medium and um i'm like yeah i dig the band let me go back and what else do they have like, oh, yeah, I remember that from the Letterman show. I'll play that. Because it actually led me to buying, like, three of their records. I think by the time they hit Letterman, their second record was out, and then the third one was coming. And I think they were about good for about four records. They're from Sweden, that group. And it was really interesting. I, I hadn't seen that video in a long time, maybe really since that night in um, two thousand into an Encinitas, California, watching David Letterman on my TV. But there, there's a scene where he says, the king of the season, and he does this. We know who the king of the season is. And uh, is that true? Is, is that the king of the season? It might be. That might be the king of the season. It might not be untrue. Anyway, uh, soundtrack of our lives. They've got a pretty good catalog. It's not deep, but the first three records are are really good. You, it's kind of you know faux psychedelic garage band rock from Sweden of all places. So there you go. Little backstory on today's group. So I I apologize for last Thursday's show because it was so rough in terms of um just the broadcast quality i'll tell you what happened after last thursday show i was so pissed off because the internet kept going out 
Well, my first, the first thing I did is I, I, I tried to call my internet provider and based on the number that's on the internet, I clicked it, right? You had a cell phone, you clicked the number and theoretically it's supposed to connect you over to the person you're calling. Well, I did that. And what I got was consistently a phone recording, which was that they hadn't set up their mailboxes yet. So I'm like, what the fuck? I got to, I got to take this into my own hands. So I literally stopped the show and got in my car and I drove probably about 15 miles into town to actually go to where my internet provider is there. It's a very small one. I'm out here in this kind of in the sticks and I get my internet signal beam to me. It's a radio radio beam. I got a tower um, that was built specifically for that, for this house. I didn't do it, but the person that lived here before me worked out of their home and they needed reasonable internet. So they needed a tower and I got one. So that worked out fine, but there's a lot of building and, and uh, development going on here. And I, my sense is that more people are, are using the internet. So I'm having kind of less bandwidth as a result of that. Anyway, uh, so I go down there and I talk to this woman who's at the front desk and she said, well, did you dial one when you call? I'm like, well, why should I dial one? It doesn't tell me on, on your website to dial one before I click on the number. So why should I dial one? And I dialed one, of course, I get put right into their little system. And it's like, maybe you should fix that on your fucking website. Anyway, I sat down, I talked to the tech dude and, Ever since I went down there, everything's fine. I don't know what they did, but they did something. And now uh, I've had uninterrupted service ever since then. So sometimes you just got to take matters into your own hands, unless, of course, um, you're a theoretical shooter in Nashville, Tennessee, in which case maybe that's not the best thing to do. So there's look, there's a lot of details around this. And then there's not a lot of details, which is always the case now. So I'm going to try to, what I'll try to do is I'm going to try to paint a kind of a broader social picture of what's going on. And instead of looking at the veracity of the actual shooting itself, because there's some weird high strange around it. I was, um, over on Twitter, and um, I was really hoping to see if I could wrangle Russ Winter to jump in and, and to just uh, join me on the stream and get his um, get his thoughts on it. And um, I don't have any messages from him. Let me see what we got here. Uh, you guys kind of wish to avoid this one losing property, even sir. Um, Okay, good. Okay, so Russ and I will address this on Friday. Okay, so that's good. Closing that loop. All right, so it's us. It's just me and you. Just me and you, kids. Let's talk about true ham science. Let's talk about true ham science. If you're new to the show and the stream, welcome. And uh, we talk about our sponsor here at the uh, beginning of the show. And our sponsor, of course, 
is True Hemp Science, THS, truehempscience.com. And um, I always extol the virtues of Chris's products. And today is no exception. The, this last batch of sleep gummies has just been great. I have to admit. Just great. Fantastic. And I don't know if they vary from batch to batch. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of, con there's consistency. It's like, you're not going to, oh, did you get a bad batch before? I don't know. It's just this, this latest batch just seems to be clicking with me. Maybe it's my, maybe it's my analog. Maybe my analog is changing and adapting to um, the, uh, the blend here a little bit in a, in a, it's always been positive, but the last week or so, the sleep gummies have just been fantastic. And there's a lot more here as well. The moon dust is the secret weapon, I think, of a trium science, in addition to a number of other tinctures, including 19. You know, I said I was going to take it uh, after the show, Astro Weather, and I missed my 19. And here we go. Mm, mm, mm. That potent CBD experience it's like yeah i just took some medicine anyway the 19 is kind of similar to uh to the moon dust in some ways they're uh, kissing cousins anyway if you want to try some of chris's products try and buy some of chris's products go to trimscience.com and when you check out if you spend 100 dollars or more just type in 15MINS and you'll get free product and you won't be, you won't be sorry. You won't be sorry about the product you're getting. And you certainly won't be sorry about getting the free product. Everybody likes some free stuff. $150 more gets you free shipping. So there you go. TrueHempScience.com. My one and only sponsor, except for me, my website, RobertPhoenix.com. If you are interested in doing a astrological reading or session with me, it's always a, uh, cool thing to do at least on my end all right let's see what we have happening in chat today uh there's my man michael djmc what's happening brother there he is tom terrific Mr. tj in the house kelly b what's happening mojo rising hello back at you hucklebuck for lemon for eleven for eleven. sony the class one wendy says it is so great to have wendy back so great. Love seeing hello, beautiful people. I missed that. Father Time. Greetings, Father Time. C.C. Jones, Fran, the star of the Sunday Night Show, asking the pertinent questions. What's going on, Fran? Harry Bowie. Hello, Harriet. Welcome to the show. Uh, Darlene Tiffer. Hi, Darlene. Uh, let's see what else we have. Double B, Beth Berry. Uh, there's my man, Steve Lore at the door. What's going on, brother? Marie NYC, good morning. Moira from New York City. Happy Tuesday. See Pines in the house. There's Lena. Morning, y'all back. Use the 13, checking in. Oh, uh, let's see. Look at that Thor still hammering away. That's funny. California drought five years ago, one of the 0.5 years ago, one of the wettest years. Now, this beautiful, soppy, wet year. If they control the weather, they're doing a piss poor job promoting drought narrative. 
Yeah, it's interesting. My mother keeps telling me, well, what are they going to say now? How are they going to pass off this drought now? I'm sure they'll find a way. They always find a way to contextualize. Crossfire cat. What's going on? Renee is here. I swear the singer, he did. He did flash a 666 sign over his eye. He said the king of the season. The king of the season is here. And my question is, not my king, but is he wrong? Is he wrong? Are we living in the season of the uh, the king of the underworld? You absolutely saw that. You, yeah, he did that. I'm, I'm a dude, dude, dude. Dude, I'm right. I mean, the dude, dude, dude thing. Dude, 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 dude. I mean, that's what sells that third eye blind song. That dude, 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 dude is underrated in pop music. Somebody should do a documentary on dude, dude, dude. Soundtrack of our lives. Solar system changes equal earth changes. It's interesting that you say that, um, Harriet. I just, I did a live, not a live stream. I did a show with uh, Danny Katz yesterday. And I love Danny. Danny's fearless. We talked about the ADL. And it's just, the ADL, man, what a, what a crime syndicate. What, 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 what a, what a, what a spy ring. I mean, the ADL is this like Swiss army knife of just, um, evil and corruption and uh surveillance i mean it's it's all embedded in the adl and i went down the adl rabbit hole yesterday and i discovered some shit with the adl i actually there was this um one famous case which i did not know about it happened in the 90s in colorado some kind of uh up upper middle class area of Colorado. And it was, um, the case was Quigley versus the Aronsons and the ADL. And it's one of these classic kind of battle royale between two neighbors. And the Quigleys were there. They had established residence in Colorado. And then the Aronsons moved in. Aronsons happened to be Jewish. Quigleys, not so much. Um, so the Quigleys brought them over. You know, it's like they were being good neighbors. And um, and then the Aronsons started to, like they had a little, you know, meet and greet. Hey, you know, come on over. We're the Quigleys. Would you like some quiche? Would you like some quiche and some fine Chardonnay from California? This is the 90s for anyway. So the Quigleys had some younger kids, and the and the, the Aronsons had some older kids. So I guess the older Aronson kids said that they would take the Quigley kids to a movie, and they took them to some kind of R-rated thing and the and then the Quigleys found out about it like wow why did you take our kids that that movie they were not into it right and that started this battle royale between these two neighbors 
in uh, Colorado. And the mother, Mrs. Aronson, sounded like a real piece of work. Like, you know, fuck you, eat shit, bitch, and die. That I mean, I started to read some of the transcripts of the trial that eventually comes out between the two. And that's that's like the dialogue that comes out of uh, Mrs. Aronson's mouth. So it gets really heated between these, these two families. So the Aronsons believe that one of the reasons why um, this is happening is because they're Jewish. And um, the Quigleys are trying to uh, paint them as this vile family that moved into the area and they want them gone, right? So they're running this kind of persecution tape. And, and from the, the description of the, or the transcripts of, of the trial or the, uh, the actual uh, pages that relate to the case, you know, the Aronsons come off as kind of vile people, I have to say. So the Aronsons decide that they're going to employ the ADL because they're being persecuted because they're Jewish. So the ADL says, no problem. We've got your back. In fact, we've got your back so much that we are going to equip you with um, high-level scanner detection and signal listening devices. So remember, this is back in the 90s, and people had their base stations with their phones. Remember that? Some of you people still have that. If you have VoIP. Anyway, the base station with the phone, and your phone has a signal. Your base station has a signal. Well, guess what? Those signals could be intercepted. So this is what the Aronsons were doing. The Aronsons were using the ADL's technology given to them by the ADL to listen in on the Aronson's conversations. I'm sorry, the Quigley's conversations. And look, some of their conversations on the Quigley side got a little salty. I will say that. It's in the testimony, right? A little salty. And um, if you were in a victim mindset, uh, clearly you could cherry pick some of these conversations. These are private conversations, by the way. And now that they have what they need, in terms of eavesdropping and listening in on the Quigleys, the Aronsons file charges against the Quigleys, and they they go to sue the Quigleys, and the Quigleys are are and find out that the ADL is involved. So the Quigleys go, nope, we're countersuing you, and we're countersuing the ADL, and it's going to be twelve million dollars. We're going to sue you for twelve million dollars, and the Quigleys won, and the ADL tried to escalate it and appeal the decision no other court would hear it. I mean, it was a clear violation, clear violation of the rights of privacy. And it was mind-blowing to watch, to, to read this about the ADL. It's like, here you go. Here's the spy equipment that we use in order to um, infiltrate and gather, gather information on people. And once you go down the ADL rabbit hole, and it just gets really weird and very dark. There was another case in San Francisco in 1993, where it was California. It was the SFPD and the LAPD, and they um, they basically figured out that there was this connection between the ADL 
and people inside of both police departments that were pilfering information and basically selling it back to the ADL. And there were two guys in particular that were, that were kind of the point people on this one guy was this guy, Roy Bullock, who was queer. And he had, that's a part of the story. He's an art dealer, queer art dealer. And this other guy named, um, uh, Curran. And he was, uh, ex-CIA, who was now working for the SFPD. So together, the two of these guys would work in tandem. And uh, so this guy Bullock, and the reason why I brought it up, because he made a big deal out of it. He was talking about how uh, when Curran got paid, because they would split the EDL money between them 50-50. And he said, um, I may be queer or I may be uh, gay or homo or whatever, but when it comes to business, I'm as straight as an arrow, meaning that he wasn't going to take more money than this current guy. Now, the current guy, he's very strange. So when they're going to essentially arrest these dudes, which they do with Roy Bullock, who has a presence in both L.A. and, and SF, uh, Curran f- goes to the Philippines, but he leaves behind the satchel. And inside the satchel, they find all this really weird shit. Like he's got like 10 different passports, different, different names, different IDs. And then there's all these like highly incriminating photos of death squads, like really bizarre shit. And then they found this black hood that it was in his satchel. And it's like the same black hood that he, he that appears with him in photos and these death are just weird shit, right? So now all of a sudden the ADL is busted. They got these moles. They're gathering intelligence. One of these dudes is a CIA mole. And then what happens? It just gets buried. And eventually the ADL settles um, for a $75,000 fine. I mean, we're talking massive, massive violations of privacy. It's crazy. So they settle for $75,000 fine. And then they take the money and they spread it amongst kind of ADL related charities. It's like, it's crazy. When you go down the ADL rabbit hole, it just gets insane. It's it's kind of part crime syndicate, uh, part shakedown, part extortion, part surveillance, um, definitely on the social engineering side of things, they play a huge role. I wasn't aware of this, but prior to Vatican II, the ADL was pumping out like heavy, heavy duty uh, propaganda, information, disinformation, misinformation, you know, greasing the wheels for Vatican II. And Vatican II changes the, you know, the, the DNA of Catholicism. Uh, and one of the biggest parts of that, you know, alteration of Catholicism's tabula rasa is the fact that prior to Vatican II, uh, they blamed the Jews for the death of Jesus. I guess there's a there's a passage in the Bible that says, "And his blood shall be um, 
on, uh, you know, on the hands or his blood shall rain down upon our sons and daughters. Right. And apparently those are the sons and daughters of Judaism in Israel. Like that's the passage in the Bible that refers to that. And I think at that point, the, the Catholic church decides to not emphasize that passage anymore. Right. So the ADL plays, it plays a significant role in altering the Catholic church and in the run-up of Vatican II. I mean, there's other reasons for Vatican II as well. Like they want to get rid of the Latin mass and, you know, they want to bring the church out of the middle ages and, and do like, uh, you know, folk Sunday services and stuff like that. Like, it's not just because of that, but it plays a huge role anyway. Um, yeah, that was, that was a trip going down the ADL rabbit hole and you just see and one of the reasons wh why I'm talking about the ADL is because at a certain point, they decided to broaden their um, influence and scope from anti-Semitism and uh, anti-Jewish hate, or Jewish hate, rather, um, to move into areas that were related to civil rights, in now dispossessed people. So they're, 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 they're kind of moving the needle now into the trans community and they're casting a much wider net, right? They're, they started off with, and then, and the ADL got its start because uh, Leo Frank was hanged because he raped a young girl in the South. And, uh, the, the governor who uh, presided over the Leo Frank case on the last day of his um, his reign as governor commuted Leo Frank and basically said, "Yeah, you're you're." He pardoned him, and the people were pissed. And they're like, yeah, "Fuck you!" So they found Leo Frank and they 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 took a rope and they strung him up for raping a young girl, and that's how the ADL got its start. It was through the Benai breath and Danny um, was able to also locate Tavistock in the creation of the ADL. And um, that has to do with Kurt Lewin, who was a member of the uh, Frankfurt school and then moves over to Tavistock. And it's through Kurt Lewin that we begin to see a lot of these nonprofit and social watchdog groups, right? Who are set up for a variety of reasons. And one of the things that I, that I found really interesting was that Meyer Lansky's granddaughter uh, wound up becoming an investigator for the ADL. Like it's crazy, right? So now the ADL is extending the, the net, right? So when we talk about, uh, hate crimes it's not just hate crimes against a specific group of people and by the way they were the ones who legislated this whole idea of hate crimes and it really begins in the 90s with the adl and they were using people like um, timothy mcveigh um and we know that timothy mcveigh and terry nichols that whole thing was major psychological operation. Um, so they're using Timothy McVeigh. They're using, uh, you know, the, the Waco incident. 
the Branch Davidians, all these other kind of, you know, sort of isolated events during that time, some of which seem to be astroturfed and others seem that seem to be kind of a natural response to what many people felt was an encroaching tyranny. And if you go back and look at what was happening during the Clinton administration, it was kind of like Obama 1.0. And there were people who were tracking Clinton and the Clintons and the Clinton crime syndicate uh, during the nineties. There, you know, there were people that were putting out videos on the Clintons pre-internet. I mean, I've got one of those videos where they go in hard on the Clintons and look at things like Mena, Arkansas and the relationship with the Bushes and um, how they were using taxpayer money through the Rose law firm to create these side hustles. And one of the side hustles, of course, was uh, retrofitting Webster Hubble uh, planes that were owned by Webster Hubble's father. You know, they retrofitted these planes. So these planes could take on massive amounts of cargo and then they would use those planes to fly down to uh, Panama, Nicaragua, and pick up, you know, cocaine. But they were also dropping weapons off as they were going down there. So people were hip to this stuff with the Clintons. You had the whole Vince Foster thing that happened. So the the high beams were on with the Clintons. And you saw that there was this kind of, you know, movement of patriots, Patriot 1.0 and and the the uh, the addition of the the citizens militias and I remember this guy Mark from Michigan was really very popular during that time and and I remember looking at him going this part you know I'm not here to to if you're heavy you're carrying around a few pounds you know I should probably lose a few myself but I remember saying to myself. This fat fuck is going to be the leader of a militia. Really? Uh, I'm like, come on now. This is this is not fit in the picture. But he was one of those guys, Mark from Michigan. And um, there was this whole kind of militia craze, right? People were, you know, that you had the freemen in Montana who were printing their own currency. You know, they were like ready to break. They were ready to break from the union. So a lot of this was going on at that time. And through the ADL um, and through other groups, they wanted to really put the kibosh on Americans kind of getting wise to this whole thing. So, of course, you have events like Oklahoma City and, to a lesser extent, Waco and the branch of it into Ruby Ridge. I, I mean, the, just go back and look what was happening in the nineties. So they began to, you know, also during that time, you know, there were these um, bombings that were taking place um, in and around uh, the Planned Parenthood centers. And eventually, I guess one of the guys, Eric Rudolph was fingered as being the guy who set up the bomb um, in the, uh, you know, the Olympic village in Atlanta, Georgia, during the Olympics in 1996, although there's really no proof of that. You know, at that time, Eric Rudolph, who had been associated with some of these bombings around these uh, Planned Parenthood centers, um, what had basically gone into hiding. You know, he kind of fled into the woods, right? And then, you know, they just kind of pulled him literally out of the woods because they needed, they needed somebody 
to take the rap for that bomb in, um, in, in the Olympic village in Atlanta. And I was there, I was like blocks away. And, you know, just before that happened. So it's weird to think about the proximity of, of being near that event during that time. And, um, and of course the whole thing with, uh, Richard Jewell comes out of that and they did everything in their power to paint Richard Jewell as, you know, the, the lone gunman, or in this case, the lone bomber and, you know, lining up with this picture of kind of white male patriotic misplaced patriotism and hate, right? They did everything in their power to smear Richard Jewell. And you know who saved Richard Jewell's ass? Lynn Wood. Lynn Wood saved his ass. And Richard Jewell wound up um, gaining a substantial um, financial settlement against the Atlanta Constitution Journal, which smeared him, completely smeared him. But this was the backdrop of the 90s. And this is where the ADL begins to run its um, anti-hate campaign. And they begin to create legislation, which is what they do. And it's through Abe Foxman, where the first anti-hate laws are passed. Federal. These are federal anti-hate laws for hate crimes. And the thing about a hate crime that is um, interesting is that it undermines due process. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. There's a thing called double jeopardy, which means you cannot be tried for the same crime twice. So, for instance, if somebody went out into the world and did something and they were accused of that crime and a jury found them innocent. If there was a uh, suspicion of it being a hate crime, they can be tried again for the same thing. So this whole idea of hate crimes, and I, I remember reading about this. I'm like, this is not good. Like they are setting up, the slippery slope because eventually they're going to get into things like hate speech and that hate speech would ultimately become a crime unto itself. And man, we are right up against that door. And when you look at who the ADL partners with, uh, one of their partners is, is PayPal, right? So PayPal uh, has a lot of sway, a lot of sway over this idea that if you say something that is theoretically politically incorrect or even worse hateful they could shut you down absolutely sh shut you down so the adl has cultivated the landscape in, in, to a large extent that we live in now and so when you create things like hate laws and hate speech what you what you have to have in order for these things to stick in order for this entity to stay afloat and continue to gain huge amounts of money uh, from the public is that you have to have hate. You have to be in the business of hate. You have to manufacture hate. Because if you don't manufacture hate, they lose the legitimacy. 
So a lot of what we see in our environment is a byproduct of that, whether it's directly manufactured or indirectly manufactured. Like today, we're, we're going to be talking about what happened in, or theoretically what happened in Nashville. Now, I think this is an important topic because one might make the case that this is a hate crime based on what the ADL has laid out as far as its description or definition of what a hate crime is. That said, if said, said uh, person or um, perpetrator or uh, assailant is a group that is theoretically marginalized, that they are part of the, um, the codec of a protected class, then is it a hate crime? Is the, does this fit the definition of a hate crime? This is going to be an interesting dialogue to have in the public square, right? Like, what is really the definition of a hate crime? Is it somebody who's outside of the protected class? Are they, is only one group capable of committing a hate crime? And to this day, my answer to that would be yes. There's only one group that's capable of doing that. Because everybody else seems to um, skirt the definition of a perpetrator of a hate crime. So just a little background here. And one of the things that I was, I was kind of kicking around today over on Nastro Weather is the justification of violence that is being represented, perpetrated, <clears throat> acted out, if this is even a real thing. Because that's the other side of this whole discussion. Like, you know, we always, we, you know, we always look at this idea that false flags are uh, perpetrated because one group has to fit the definition of a false flag. So, for instance, let's say the uh, false flag involves, like, the shooter in Buffalo. We'll just kind of go there for a minute. The kid in Buffalo, he fits the description. He's young, he's white, he's angry. He's talking about identitarianism, replacement culture, um, you know, in a Discord channel with, with probably one of his handlers. His parents might be two A people. And now all of a sudden we have this thing and, you know, is it real? Is it not real? It kind of, you know, if it's, if it's not real, then it fits the pattern of a false flag that sells an agenda. You know, let's throw uh, Parkland into the mix. And I'm going to put air quotes around Parkland as a false flag. I'm just putting air quotes around it. If you if you're watching me, you can see the air quotes, and I'll use the word allegedly because that seems to be a bit of a cushion here. 
But that would fit an agenda, right? It would fit an agenda. Well, look, here's what happens. You know, we've got uh, we got these guns. We got to take these guns away, and we got to protect the children, right? So we look at these events and go, yeah, that, that that fits the profile. But what if there's a different kind of profile? What if there's a different application of this whole idea that the things that we're witnessing are psychological operations and that this event might actually fall into one of those? I don't know the answer to that. And I think Russ and I might talk a little bit about it on Friday's show. I wish we could talk about it more here because... Uh, this is a little bit uh, less constrained, let's say, than uh, YouTube. But I found some very uh, interesting videos that, that I want to look at here. And there seems to be this fomentation going on with this um, oppressed and uh, tortured deeply misunderstood it must be accepted at all costs very slim portion of our society and th there's something very strange going on here because on the one hand uh, there's this demand to accept their um whatever you want to call it, genetic predisposition, choice, whatever, right? To accept this thing and to accept it in a way that you can't have any reasonable discussion about the why or the how that is moving people into this place where they're just absolutely and utterly confused about who they are. You know, there's the, it's this weaponization of unconditional love. But at the same time, there's also this growing sense that this group are a group of victims. And that society is out to get them. Right? They're, they're, they're the new sacrificial lambs. That this group are they're 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 the new uh, the new wave of persecution, and one of the things that Danny uncovered is that when the ADL partnered with, for all intents and purposes, Tavistock here, Kurt Lewin, that inside of the uh, Jewish schools. And, and even part of the non-Jewish schools, uh, the American curriculum, that part of the canon that would be taught is that the Jewish people would be despised and that they would be uh, chastised and castigated and they would be chased out of uh, country from country to country to country. Now, historically, this is true. But what happened was is that they made sure that this was being taught in the school system. And the, the picture that was being painted was that this was the persecuted group, right? This was a group that um, 
And if you were part of that group, then you would identify with that. You would identify with being persecuted. You'd identify with being a victim. You would identify with that status, whatever that status was. So this was part of the educational indoctrination or curriculum about how a certain group of people would be viewed. And that group of people would also view themselves in that light. Now, the cognitively dissonant part is the other side of it, where the religious component says, well, you're God's chosen people. So if you're God's chosen people, you know, you're special. But on the other hand, you're a victim, right? There's this weird cognitive dissonance that, that's at play, strangely. But that's where all this starts, right? It starts back there in that there's a group who is going to be persecuted because of them being different. They, they stand out. They're not wanted. And so the ADL has adopted that and morphed that through the civil rights movement and all the way up to where we currently are. And now we're looking at this new group, this new persecuted group. And, the, and there is this backlash. If you're part of the persecuted group, now you're believing this uh, rapidly evolving mythos that you're being persecuted. And what are you going to do about that? So you guys are pretty hip. You're pretty smart. You've seen this stuff. So here we go. This is, this is how the masses are manipulated. April 1st. Trans Day of Vengeance. Stop Trans Genocide. Trans Day of Vengeance. April 1st, 11 a.m. Assemble at SCOTUS. Wear a mask. Of course, you want that anonymity. Bring a buddy. Put together by, I guess, uh, Tran Broadcasting and Our Rights DC. Maybe they should be Our Rights ACDC. It might be a little more uh, applicable. So do you see how this is being set up? Uh, it's more divide and conquer which is, I mean, I mean, everywhere we turn, it's divide and conquer. And this is just the next level, the next layer of divide and conquer. And this group is being set up. I really feel like that, for instance, in the black community, you know, there, there's a couple of things that are associated when dealing with the black community. One is outright fear in dealing with the black community and fear with um, either reprisal that um, if somebody inside the black community does something heinous, right? Like, you know, one of the hundreds of TikTok videos circulating through YouTube on any given day that demonstrates hardcore, you know, black on white violence, right? 
Like there's a fear that if you speak out against that, you'll be canceled or um, you, you'll suffer any kind of other, you know, social, socioeconomic recrimination. The other fear is the fact that that is, those are really violent videos. And if you're somebody who is not a violent person or you're more passive, you're going to see that it's going to scare the shit out of you. Right. So what is your general uh, reaction to something like that? You'll be afraid of it. So that is, you know, when it comes to a group that's associated in that way, right. People are going to be, I think less, um, they're going to, they're going to be less motivated to confront that kind of energy directly for the reasons I just stated. And you don't even have to be white, right? You could be black or you could be Hispanic. You know, there's something about that, the, 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 uh, the social, the physical violent implications that go along with uh, that kind of confrontation. Not with the trans community. The trans community does not possess that kind of inherent violence or that inherently violent um, kind of expression. Now, you they, theoretically, they would have the same kind of hall pass that any other group who claims to be marginalized or oppressed would have. And so speaking out against any of these marginalized or oppressed groups could have consequences. So they have that, right? But what they don't have is they don't have this looming sense that, that um, if, you, if you got physical, things could go very wrong, right? So then how, how does this shake out? If people witness, even from afar, what theoretically happened in Nashville, and this person identifying as a non-binary, you know, even taking on a, 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 a feminine name, right? Um, between the, the, uh, the drag queen story hours and, you know, taking your kids down to the local bar so they could swing on the pole, the strippers pole with the, I mean, this shit happens, right? It happens in red States. It happens in blue States. And so there's this rising sense of animus with uh, a particular slice of this community, this world that we're sharing oxygen with particular groups and people with it's the, the anger and the animus is rising. And I guess what I'm saying here is that this group does not pose the same physical threat that when you look at other groups, you go, Whoa, that's pretty heavy. I'm not going there. This group does not pose the same threat even if they now have this profile of being shooters or whatever. 
And as a result of this, they're, they're, I think they're being set up. I, you're, you got a bunch of people now looking around and they're going, you know, I've been down on the totem pole here for a while and I'm fucking pissed. I'm pissed. And they could make, um, a moral or religious kind of decision to uh, express the wrath of God here, right? So I feel like in a lot of ways, you have this dispossessed and marginalized group who are also at the same time being feted and propped up and in many regards, even celebrated. And so there is this kind of sense of social entitlement that, that they have. They were, it, they, they're, they're being given their flowers, as the kids would say. I mean, just look at the latest Oscars and Jamie Lee Curtis and how, you know, th there was this call for inclusivity in all these oppressed and marginalized groups. And now they're the, the latest member of this oppressed and marginalized group. And so they have a sense in some ways of, of entitlement in a lot of ways. I was talking with, I was talking with Danny yesterday. It was really interesting. She told this story. This is kind of what I'm talking about. She got her Facebook page deleted and she tried everything to get her Facebook page back. And somebody suggested to her, well, why don't you tell them you're Jewish? And she didn't want to do it. But guess what? She did. And she got her Facebook page back. This is what I'm talking about. As soon as she threw down the Jewish card, the people at Facebook were like, oh, we're sorry. We didn't mean to do that. We know you're oppressed and marginalized. This is what I'm talking about. And there are people who will play that card. And I've had this conversation before. If I was black during this period of time, I don't know if I wouldn't play the card. I'm just talking about human nature. You know, you could make a lot of rationalizations like, man, been fucking down for a long time. Looks like the tide is turning. Looks like I've got the media and the Democrats and all these forces, all these social forces are on my side. Yeah, I'm leaning into this. I'm not sure if I wouldn't do that, honestly. If I was part of a certain group, you know, you're getting that cachet. You're like, yeah, I suffered a lot to get to this fucking place. I'm, I'm, I'm cashing the suffering chips in. Even if, even if it's real or imagined, I don't know, right? But you can see how when you have this whole idea of equity of outcome versus equality, the people who are afforded the equity will lean into that equity and say, yep, yep, I am oppressed. I am marginalized and, you know, pay up. So now we're kind of, we're getting to this territory here. The, to me, this is a, a brutal setup. 
you have in many ways the most vulnerable part of our society, people who are really um, in uh, some very strange space, physically, mentally, hormonally, and they're 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 being fed this propaganda of persecution. And at the same time, they're they're being given this status of you're special. You're special because of all the things that you stand for. And, and we need to put you on the Mount Rushmore of being marginalized. It's a bad combination. A really, really, really bad combination. And I don't, I don't, um, I don't think it's going to end well. Because on the other side, you have a whole group of people again. They're like sitting around. They're like, okay, these are clay pigeons. And if you're a parent, and you have to deal with what's being introduced into the curriculum at school, if you still send your kids to school, um and you see what they're feeding your kids on TV. I guess there was a, there was a Netflix commercial. Jason Whitlock was talking about this. I think it's Netflix or Amazon prime. One of the, I think it's Amazon prime. And basically they're uh, promoting on this commercial, uh, two boys who are in their, teens and they have a special friendship with one another right so we're watching this you know this grooming take place in the corporate media and, and people are witnessing this and their blood is boiling because nobody is really doing anything and they're they're watching this group being moved straight to the front of the line. And in a lot of ways, they're even um, surpassing you know, the latest marginalized group, which of course is black America. There's they're they're you know they're moving past black America in terms of marginalization. And I, I've said this before: if I if if I was black, I would not be happy because there's a whole different peace around civil rights and things that are historical and and you know it's just very very different it's very and 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 i would i wouldn't be happy i wouldn't be it's like what they're moving you to the front of the line i guess we've had our time now And now, and now, and now we have to be in fellowship with one another. That's the other thing. Now you got to be in fellowship together. I don't think this is going to end well. And so what happens as a result of this? More legislation, more marginalization. Here, let me play you some stuff. I'm going to play a few things.
Jane Fonda was recently on The View. And um, let me show you what Jane Fonda said on The View. She's looking nutty. Jane Fonda's looking nutty. Take a listen to this. We're not going back. I don't care what the laws are. We're not going back. I think the women will rise up. That's the activist. That's Jane speaking, yeah. and, 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 and she probably will get a Nobel Prize. But it's very, the truth. Very, very soon. It, it is the truth. But we're I, not going to do it. Besides, besides marching and, and protesting, what else do you suggest? Well, well it doesn't happen murder. overnight. It's not a miraculous. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> murder. She's kidding. Wait a second. She's just now, kidding. Don't say that. That's oh, not... you don't know. They'll pick up on that and yeah, just Yeah, that's with the it. worst. She's joking. just kidding. It's... Well, let me talk to you about... <laughs> We're not going back. I don't care what the laws are. We're not going back. Yeah. I think that's, the women will rise up. That's the activist. That's Jane speaking. Yeah. And, and, and she probably will get a Nobel Prize. But it's the truth. Very, very soon. It, it is the truth. But We're I, not going to do it. Besides, besides marching and, and protesting, what else do you suggest? Well, well it doesn't happen murder. overnight. It's not a miraculous. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> murder. <laughs> She's kidding. Wait a second. She's just now, kidding. Don't say that. That's oh, not... you don't know. They'll pick up on that and yeah, just run with it. Yeah, that's the worst. She's joking. just kidding. It's Well, let me talk to you about <laughs> Oh, it's all funny, isn't it? It's all funny. And then there she is wearing her nice little turquoise cross. She probably got in Santa Fe. When she went for a week uh, to the spa in Santa Fe. And she walked around the square, the plaza. And she bought that nice little turquoise cross from one of those nice little Indian artisans who peddled their wares. She felt real good about herself. She was not lying here. She said murder, okay? She said murder. Go out and murder somebody at an abortion clinic. This is what she's saying. And I guess they dragged Lily Tomlin out of the uh, out of the mothballs there. Oh, she's just kidding. Ha ha ha. See her roll her eyes? Jane Fonda's not kidding. Oh, she gets to say it. What would happen if um, somebody like... Who would be good? What would happen if Alex Jones said that? Oh, fuck. Alex Jones would be going to jail. Murder. I got more for you. You think it stops with Hanoi Jane? Nope. Nope. I got some uh, bookmarks here on on uh, Twitter that I want to want to play. 
So here we go. This is um, it's from my Twitter feed. So here we got a pro- we got a, a professor at Wayne State, which is in Michigan. Uh, it is far more admirable to kill than it is to shout them down. Wayne State professor calls for murder of those who express opinions that are considered hateful. Are you sensing a trend here? This, this, is, this is what they're calling for. So you have Jane Fonda, you got this clown, and they're not alone, right? They're looking, they're looking at quote unquote mainstream society, or they're looking at the, the dominant paradigm. And because they believe that it is evil, vile, judgmental, fill in the blank, that they deserve to die. They deserve to die because they're intolerant. It's really funny. I don't see, you know, when I was talking with Danny yesterday, I said, you know, out of all the years I've lived on this planet, I have never met a neo-Nazi. I've never met a neo-Nazi. I've never met anybody who, like, fucking has pictures of Hitler, like, in their living room, you know, or um, kind of, kind of a, you know, Third Reich cult of relics in their, in their house. I've never, I've never met anybody like that. And I've had discussions with a lot of people regarding the JQ, but I don't think that falls into neo-Nazi territory. And it certainly doesn't fall into anti-Semitic territory because when you look and we did this yesterday, when you look at the definition of Semitic, it's language-based. It's a language-based definition. And there are a group of people in a particular area of the Fertile Crescent who share a similarity and affiliation for the same language. So how could you be anti-Semitic if you are uh, pro-Palestinian or pro-Arab or pro-Jordanian? or pro-Syrian, right? Those are somatic people. And it's all based on the language. Anyway, I just, this whole idea that there are this group of people out there who are angry and have an agenda. I've just never seen it. I've never seen it. And even the people, even when it comes to race, like every now and then, you know, I'll run into somebody who'll, who'll drop the end bomb, right? And, and it's like, okay, whatever. But that is not a common term in the, the, the nomenclature of discourse throughout my life. 
I never, I never, I never ran into or met those, you know, those people, right? So a lot of this is being conjured. And now they're conjuring this, this, um, it, it feels like an Armageddon. They're conjuring an Armageddon. They're doing everything in their power to create as much divide and conquer theater. And I'm telling you, this, this group that, I'm, that we're talking about today, they're being completely set up, completely set up to feel the wrath of a bunch of people who are really pissed off. And that's exactly what they want. That's exactly what they want. They want a group of victims, right? This is what the Marxists love. Victims, martyrs. Martyrs are so important to advancing the, the program or advancing the ideology. Martyrs are really, really important. So this is all social engineering. And, you know, they'll get their martyrs probably. And if they don't get them, they'll certainly make them. And how this thing is being... Um, here's another... Here, here's an... Here, Here's another piece of what I'm talking about, right? Castro's ghost on Redbeard's bunker, whatever. I think, I still think Tennessee got what it deserved today. You can't victimize people nonstop and expect something bad not to happen. Now, I don't know who this dude is. He, this, this could be a troll account. It could be a bot. It could be real. I don't know. But, but if, if it's real, Right. And this guy firmly believes that. Can you see what's taking place here? It's absolutely emboldening, emboldening a certain group or class of people to take violent action against an enemy and a threat that isn't really there. And so why did it happen in Tennessee? Because in Tennessee, they basically said, look, you're, you're not going to, you know, mutilate children. They passed the bill. No, you're not going to do this. And so they believe that th this falls under the rubric of human rights. Then you have this clown. Where is he? Another agent provocateur. Very surprised, David Pacman. He finally deleted it. But listen to what this fuck said. Very surprising that there would be a mass shooting at a Christian school, given that lack of prayer is often blamed for these horrible events. Is it possible they weren't praying enough or correctly despite being a Christian school? This guy shouldn't be allowed to fucking post on Twitter. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll be a tyrant. He's supposed to be enlightened. He's supposed to be the enlightened voice of reason for the progressive left. And who's hateful? Who's hateful? Who's being branded as merchants of hate? Utter bullshit. But you can see what's going on here, right? They're, they're fomenting this thing. And April 1st, 
those people are going to show up in Washington, D.C. Now, keep in mind that Washington, D.C. is um, is home to January 1st, or January 6th, rather. And uh, you have people that infiltrate, right? So would it be out of out of out of the question that um, there would be a Jean provocateurs at their event pretending to be the nasty, demonic, hateful right? You bet your ass. You bet your ass they'll be there. And, um, you know, what happens after that? Yeah. So if, if you're somebody who wants to go out and counter-protest against this marginalized group, I would just say stay home, right? I mean, if, if you're on the so-called right, I would do everything in your power to say, nope, not going, not going. And spread it far and wide. Nope, not going. So then, essentially, who does show up and who does pretend to be the uh, the bad guys are pretty isolated. Oh, look who's here. Yeah, we're not there. But you are. So this is, I don't, whatever happened. Um, and I, you know, and I haven't really had time to go into with the minutia and the granularity, the details, because I was kind of busy yesterday. And, and it's like, oh, fuck, do I have to go through another fucking shooting again and try to find the inconsistencies and all the bullshit, you know, around this stuff? It just gets tiring. You know, for a while, it was like, you know, I felt like I was doing God's work. And now it's like, I just, it's like, no, this is not interesting. But the overall kind of social narrative is something that I think is um, worth talking about and understanding the context for all of this and, and, you know, where it's all going with these potential flashpoints. You know, these are, these are, these are like, they're like brush fires that they start, you know, and try to control. And then at any point in time, you know, they can throw some, um, some kerosene on it. And all of a sudden we get, you got to blaze. So there are all these social brush fires that are that are being you know curated. Let's let's put it that way. Um, Matt Taibbi, a little off topic, but this grabbed me. Matt Taibbi now knows what it's like to be targeted. Check this out. Of course, Matt Taibbi uh, testified against uh, the Federal Trade Commission and a number of other entities in Congress. Jim Jordan demands IRS explain unannounced visit to Matt Taibbi's home. Representative Jim Jordan sent a letter to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Internal Revenue Service Commissioner Daniel Werfel demanding an explanation as to why the agency deployed federal agents to visit Twitter files journalist Matt Taibbi. He got targeted. Jordan, the chairman in the House Judiciary Committee, sent the notice on Monday requesting more information on the timing and circumstances of the raid on Taibbi's house 
in New Jersey on March 9th. Wow. Bill Rage was dispatched by his residence the very same day that the investigative journalist appeared before the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government, also chaired by Representative Jordan. They went to his house the day he is supposed to testify. That's how you beat Pisces. There was another Twitter thing I saved. You know, this is really um, graphic, but it's also something that, you know, bears witness to the other side of this. I mean, look at this. Look at this. We enabled this. This is insanity. This is insanity, what we're looking at. Um, what's her name? There's a, this is somebody who, give me one second here. I know we got some dead air. Uh, here we go. I'm looking at a specific person. And I'm gonna find him. I'm gonna find him. I'm gonna find this person. I got six minutes left. Six minutes left. Okay, what do we got here? Um, bu- 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 um, did you know Joan Jett is a feminist? Holly Hunter is a feminist? Were you, were you aware of that? I didn't know that. I didn't know Holly Hunter was a feminist. Or Joan Jett, for, for that matter. Uh, let's see. Andy DeFrank. Mark Derry is a feminist. I didn't know that. Gina Davis, Angela Davis. Kurt Cobain is a feminist. Anyway, um, there's this idea that when societies get to the point where we're at right now, that and when I say where we're at right now, when when societies ha- ha- move towards the fringe in a way where the fringe becomes, uh, you know, more more mainstream. So we're talking um, homosexuality, right? We're talking transgenderism, transsexuality, transvestism, all all the the packages that go along. There's this uh, historical model that societies collapse. 
and we're we're veering very very quickly um, towards that reality. We're veering very very quickly towards that reality, which is not great. Not great. There's always going to be a portion of society in general that that tends to be a bit fringy, even in Native American culture. Like if there was a person who was fringy, they, you know, they basically moved them onto the fringe of the, you know, of their, of their, uh, their, their settlement, their village, their encampment, and they turned them into shamans is really what they did. Uh, but there was a place for that. But then, you know, when there's a certain um, mainstream effect or the numbers just become overwhelming, it generally signals that there is something very significant about to happen with a society, a civilization, and a culture. And we're there. We're there. The moment has has reached us, right? It's reached us. Anyway. Um, I'll, in fact, what I'll do is I'll come back tomorrow and I'm going to play a clip that's associated with it that comes out of the feminist world. And um, I'll be able to back up what I'm saying here. Anyway, all right, thanks for being here. Um, use your head in order to discern what's real, uh, your heart to say what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Um, thanks for being here and take good care as always. Bye for now. <laughs>